The following is a sponsored program on 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this program are solely those of the individuals or participants involved and do not necessarily represent those of Braden Madison Broadcasting or its employees. 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM presents Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program each Sunday morning at 10 AM. Sumner County Spotlight is brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. FNM Bank offers personal banking, business banking, and mortgage loans too. FNM Bank is one of the top independent banks in Tennessee. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, MMLS number 518158. Here's your host for Sumner County Spotlight. Jeff Shannon. Well, good morning. This is Sumner County Spotlight, and this is Jeff Shannon. Welcome into the show this morning, 10 o'clock, each and every Sunday morning here at WHIN. Of course, sponsored by our good friends at FNM Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard right here in Hendersonville for all of your banking needs. Well, we got a special guest in the studio this morning. We're going to kick it off with State Representative William Labrath. William, welcome to the show, man. Jeff, thank you so much for having me on this morning. I really appreciate it. I uh, I know we we pre-record this show, and so a lot of folks, myself included, are probably in church right now. But if you're listening into this uh, between services or you know afterwards, whatever else, uh, a lot of folks in our uh, church now go to early services. Yes, we have they multiple do. services. Yeah. But I want to say, you know, I hope you guys are having a great weekend. I hope you're having a blessed Sunday. And this is actually, I know we're going to talk about some different things. Again, passed this year in the legislature. I'm blessed to say that, you know, and serving as your state representative, I supported a tax-free weekend for several years now for back-to-school supplies, and that's right now, this weekend, it's going on. And in fact, we extended that uh, to a whole tax-free week, and that's going to be on different grocery items and restaurants and also school supplies. And so uh, I can go into the background of how that happened, but really, that's $50 million that we're investing and giving directly back to taxpayers because, you know, it's been a very difficult year on everyone, and it's been particularly difficult on our restaurants. And so sure. I would encourage all of y'all, again, after church today or after you listen to this show, I mean, go out and have lunch with your family. Go out and have dinner. And in fact, this whole week, July 30th through August 5th, will be a, a tax-free week. And so it's extremely important that you get out there and support our local businesses. Now, what about shoes and things of that nature? Clothing? So it kind of depends on the item. Okay. Um, but some of that's going to fall under the back-to-school, you know, that we've, we've always done. Um, but mainly, it's food items that we mm-hmm. added. I mean, so, you know, sales tax on groceries and on restaurants and all of that is mainly what we added this year. And I'll tell you why we were able to do that. So here in Tennessee, we take fiscal responsibility very seriously. And as your state representative, it's one of the things that I focus on every year above and beyond everything else, because our budget has to be balanced. I mean, constitutionally, that's what's required here in the state of Tennessee. And so last year when the pandemic hit, um, in, a, in the span of about a week, we cut one and a half billion dollars. That's that big to be out of the budget. How is that possible? We cut to the bone. I mean, we, we, we cut any wow. growth out. We cut programs that we we deeply appreciate okay. and love. Yeah. I mean, we cut just about any new spending out completely, and we, we cut $1.5 billion out. And so coming into this year, we were on a, only one of six states that actually saw economic growth during the pandemic mm-hmm. because I'm very, I'm very proud of our governor. I mean, he was one of the last to issue any kind of an executive order to shut our state down and one of the first to reemerge from that. And I hope we never, ever go through any kind of a shutdown again. Right. I'll be one of the ones that's that's leading the charge with many of my friends to make sure that never happens again. Um, you know, the governor made the decisions he made at the time with the best information he had. Uh, but I think even he has said publicly that we never want to go through anything like 
like that again. But we were one of the last states to shut down, one of the first to reopen. So what that has provided for is while we cut one and a half billion dollars last year, and like a lot of families and businesses, we cinched our belt up and made those difficult decisions. Well, since we saw economic growth that we did not anticipate, because we anticipated zero or less, we had a $2 billion surplus this year. So part of that is a $50 million uh, sales tax holiday. I mean, that's part of what we did. We also invested about $950 million into infrastructure projects like buildings and maintenance and everything else. Because when you have some excess money that belongs to the people, it's your money that you've you know paid sales tax for at the store for whatever items you bought over the last year, we want to make sure to build roads and bridges and buildings and invest in those things that are one-time expenditures. Because here's the other thing that we don't know. We're in good economic times right now. Mm-hmm. And and that's probably not going to last. We're yeah. already seeing gas prices go up. We're seeing massive inflation in the construction industry and even on food items and everything else because the federal government has put such a massive influx of money into the system. Well, we've seen that happen throughout history. It's happened when, yeah. when the U.S. has hit on hard times large influx of federal money. There's this balancing act of how much is too much. When do you stop it? But at some juncture, that's going to stop. And and my opinion is it it, it should stop now. I mean, Mm -hmm. they should let things calm down and determine how that the influx they put out there now reacts Mm -hmm. before they put any more in. But that's a question for the feds to determine. But what we know on the state level is that we're in good shape right now, but we won't be down the road. So we took 250 million additional money of that that surplus. So it's, it's money that's already in the bank, money that we know is there and put it into our pension plan. Because see, that's one of the things that, that the bond agencies look at when okay. and we've got a AAA yeah. bond rating. I mean, if we ever needed to borrow money, which we have one of the lowest debts in any state out there, we have virtually no state debt. Um, out of a $42.6 billion budget, wow. our debt is you know two to $300 million. And mm-hmm. it's on projects that are kind of some of the larger projects that, quite frankly, it was so cheap to bond out, it would have been financially unwise not to do some debt there, but it's a tiny, tiny fraction of our budget. A lot of other states are exactly the opposite. So we put $250 million into our pension plan. We put $931 million into capital infrastructure. Like I said, almost $950 million there. And we put another $100 million into our rainy day fund. I was just going to ask that. Absolutely. So you got that extra money. It's a good place to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, put that aside because, you know, we we would have thought that during a pandemic, that's when it's going to rain harder than any other time. Well, again, our, our economy grew in Tennessee during that time period for a variety of reasons and everything else. But I mean, we saw some economic growth during that time. Now, after the pandemic, what's really surprising and and just very uh, we're very fortunate to have this is because our state opened back up much more quickly because we have balanced, I think, uh, the health of our population with the health of our economy. I mean, that's that's the balance we've been trying yeah. to strike, um, because obviously, if you want to save the maximum number of lives and reduce the risk the most, you shut down completely, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that that's what happened last year. Yeah. We didn't know what COVID-19 was. We didn't know how to handle it. We didn't have a vaccine or anything. Boom, shut everything down. That's how you can absolutely kind of throw everything into into full stop and, and minimize the most risk. But it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. live like that. There's no way to. We'd lose every business. We'd lose you know our entire economy. And then you'd have people starving in the streets. Yeah. So we, we've tried to kind of balance having a healthy economy and a healthy population. And we're still struggling through that. All of us as individuals are making a determination. Do you get the vaccine or not? Do you wear a mask or not? Do you go to certain events or not? I mean, it's it's this balancing act of mitigating risk. Because we all know mm-hmm. at this point with COVID-19, 
it's impossible to get the risk down to zero. Yeah. So with the budget, that that's another thing that we're trying to do is spend one-time dollars to invest in the rainy day fund. So if tough times are coming down the road, we'll be ready for them to invest in roads and bridges and infrastructure. And by the way, we pay as we go on our roads. Mm-hmm. We don't have any debt when it involves our roads. So literally, when we put a project out to bid, we've got the money to pay for it right then. So very few states do sure. that. Yeah. So and then I, just a quick couple other quick things on how we invested that surplus. We did do some recurring um, expenses. We were very careful mm-hmm. about that because, again, we don't we don't know what's next. This large amount of money coming to the system, the higher the peak, the lower the valley. I mean, that's just, that's basic economics. I yeah. mean, it's it's just it's going to happen. I mean, it, it comes and goes. So we put seven hundred and thirty million new dollars into K through twelve education this year. Nice, um, a heavy investment. Yeah. And part of the and reason for state, that is statewide, absolutely yeah. statewide. Okay. And part of the reason mm-hmm. for that is is that you know obviously during a shutdown it wasn't just our businesses that were shut down, but our schools, our children were trying to learn at home remote. Now, look, if you're a college kid, you know, a lot of times, many, many people can do online courses and do remote learning and all that. And it works out pretty well for them. In fact, a lot of folks worked out really well for If you're a third grader, like my son was during this, it's extraordinarily difficult to learn in a remote setting. Sure. Now, we struggled through it. And like any other family, I mean, I've I've got a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old. My son's going into fourth grade. My daughter's going into seventh grade. Very proud of them. They buckled down. And their mother and I worked with them. And and they're Mm -hmm. doing well. But not everybody has that family support. Not every child has those parents that are able um, to be able to work with them. I mean, you know, it just depends on kind of your circumstance. But we know that if we've got a great teacher in a classroom, with a with a uh, a low class size because I mean class size is a big part of this. Yeah. But if they've got a manageable number of students before them and they're a great teacher, they can catch a lot of these children up. So we've invested a ton of money in teacher raises because our teachers have worked really Definitely. hard during this. Yeah, we've invested a lot in summer school and after school programs so that we can catch them up. And we've invested in just the infrastructure of how we're delivering education in Tennessee, because we've got to make sure that these kids that have gone through a pandemic don't fall behind and stay behind in their educational journey. Or that's another thing that's going to hit us down the road because these kids, they've got to learn the skills that they need to be able to then graduate later and go on and still excel. The pandemic didn't slow down their growth and maturity, Mm -hmm. so we can't slow down their educational journey. So we invested very heavily in education this year. And one of the things that that they brought back this year was the breakfast and lunch, free breakfast and lunch Mm -hmm. here in Summer County and out of adjacent counties. Yeah, no, no. Summer County's done a great job of that. I mean, they, you know, Dr. Dell is just, I mean, they're rocking it here in the school system. Oh, Dell Phillips does a phenomenal he job. Really Our does. school board and county commission, yes. very proud of the work that they've done and in partnering with the state because the state provides the bulk of the money for our educational system. Then the county commission provides a massive additional chunk for that. And that's actually one of the things that we talk about statewide with the BEP formula mm-hmm. is that, you know, there's lawsuits about that and everything else. And you've always got, you know, one district or another that claims that the BEP formula is not fair to them. Well, I mean, it, it's it's a basic education. I mean, mm-hmm. it is it is providing the base for what your educational system should be. And then you have counties like Sumner that have put in additional money well above and beyond that to provide an educational system that is above and beyond. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, at the state level, we're providing all of these districts the basic amount of money that they would need to provide an education to children. Yeah. But if you want to, if you don't want just the basic, if you want the advanced, if you want the excellent, if you want the just top of the line, you know, best educational system out there, it takes a partnership with the state and counties for us all to be able to provide that. And it gives a little 
competitive advantage to different counties yeah. that invest more heavily in their school system. Um, so again, very very proud of Dale Phillips and our school system. Proud of all of our teachers that have that have come through this. Um, it's well, been a real glad, struggle. I'm just glad the state has recognized that the teachers need that additional pay. I mean, they they do put a lot of work into that. And they spend a lot of time and a lot of expense on their own. But this, the, the fact the state's helping out with the counties, and that, that's commendable. Well, I'll tell you, we put $120 million new dollars in, recurring dollars, specifically for teacher raises. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, of that $730 million that I talked about, literally $120 million of that is supposed to go straight to teachers. Now, mm-hmm. that's still up to the local school board. I mean, here in Sumner County, our teachers have gotten a raise for the last five or six years in a row. Okay. Sometimes it's been smaller, sometimes it's been more, but our school board here has used that state money to actually get directly to teachers for raises. Good. Not all school boards do that. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that we kind of you know struggle with at the state level. Um, we believe in local control, but we've allocated money year after year after year. I mean, virtually every year I've been in the legislature, we've put more money in almost two billion new dollars over the last nice. eight years. Yeah. Again, billion with a B. Mm-hmm. Now, more money in education does not always mean better results. So we, we, we're still looking at that structure, but it, but it certainly helps. Sure, and absolutely. so we continue to invest, but we've been careful about those investments to try to be strategic. Paying teachers better is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is both rewarding their hard work out there, and hopefully, I mean, no teacher teaches for the money, but yeah. It hopefully will allow more young people to be attracted to that profession because they at least know that they're going to make a decent wage for getting in there and serving those children in that Absolutely. way. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'll hit another quick thing um, that, that goes with kind of education and with uh, some of the remote learning things. I mean, even when kids are in, back in school in person, there are still um, there's still homework. There's still online resources. There's still needs that they have to have mm-hmm. Internet connectivity. Yes. So we put a hundred million dollars aside again if you have a surplus we cut one and a half billion wound up with a two billion dollar surplus okay so we're we're, you know we're using that for infrastructure we're using that for tax cuts we're using that for broadband expansion Mm -hmm. i mean that that's part of our infrastructure here so a hundred million dollars is going to go into expanding broadband into areas that are unserved or underserved Mm -hmm. and so to try to make sure that every child every home out there has the ability for that child to be able to get the online resources they need and to make sure that if you know during this economy and the the COVID economy, so to speak, that, you know, we have a lot of folks that are working from home now. We have a lot of folks that have started small businesses that utilize the internet to grow and to expand and to be able to thrive as a business. Well, if you don't have high-speed internet, that's not going to yeah. happen. Yeah. And so we, we really invested in that. And, 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 and that actually started out as a $200 million proposal by the governor. Mm-hmm. And we trimmed that back to $100 million because, quite frankly, I, we don't know that they can use $100 million in one year. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes a while to be able to, you know, that's a lot of money. It's a yeah. huge investment in broadband. So if they, if, you know, they're able to use $100 million and get those projects all started within the next year, we'll double down and put another $100 million into it next year. But we wanted to be careful about how we leverage those sure. dollars. Is there ways to identify those areas where broadband is not accessible? I mean, I guess you can do those heat maps. I guess it tells where the signal's going. Uh, and really, you know, farther out in the country, I mean, you live up mm-hmm. on the mountain, it might be a little bit harder, but you, you've got that. So glad you asked that because it is, 
that's part of what we're doing at this. We, we set a couple million dollars aside. I mean, it, you know, it's uh, that's still a lot of money, but it's uh, on the scale of a, a multi-billion dollar budget, it's a smaller amount. But we, we set just a couple of million dollars aside, and we're going to be able to do a, a map as part okay. of this project of, look, who's unserved? Because that ought to be your first goal. Who is the, you know, who, who within our state has no internet connection whatsoever? And then who's underserved? In other words, who has a very slow internet connection that, yeah, sure, maybe they can check email or something like that um, or social media, but they're not going to be able to actually have interactive lessons or video or sure. run any of the programs that they might need for a business or upload things. Yeah. I mean, it's just not, you know, yeah. you've got to have something that's got that solid connection there. Yeah. I mean, there's somewhat with technology that's out there and there's things going on right now. We have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's going to blow our minds, I'm sure, but it's just hard to fathom. There are people out there that do not have internet mm-hmm. in oh, these absolutely. days and times. It's just, it, yeah. it's I hard mean, to believe. It is, but it, it is absolutely a problem. So, you know, I'll tell you another quick thing on the budget. I mean, there were so many good things within this budget that we invested in. Um, and one of the things was, you know, we put $100 million back at the state level and sent it straight to the cities and counties. Oh, nice. And so, okay. oh yeah. And, and part of that was, is we knew that, I mean, their, their economy for most of them, they've seen a, a sales tax growth as well, but we did not want to have even the slightest bit of temptation for our local cities or counties to raise property taxes because maybe they were short in a difficult time. And so we took $100 million out of the state budget, out of that out of that surplus that we purposefully kind of allowed to build up there and sent it straight back to the cities and counties and said, look, we want to give you guys a buffer um, so that they're not raising taxes either. And that's yeah. something that we've heard from cities and counties a lot is that while the state has done very well, is that they have not seen quite as much growth as some of the sales tax revenues and everything else. Yeah. So we want to make sure that, again, we're providing for them and that, it, that all around we're hopefully lowering taxes and lowering those regulatory burdens on businesses and individuals so that they can thrive. Yes, absolutely. Hey, I want to continue talking about this, but because I know it's in a lot of people's minds right now. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with more of Sumner County Spotlight. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. And we're back with Sumner County Spotlight. Welcome into this Sunday morning. Uh, we've been speaking with State Representative William Lamberth right here. And, you know, as always, William, you're just a wealth of information. And it's just amazing to me, all the bills that you guys have passed, I guess it went into effect July 1st, but the sales tax and the property tax, uh, I like that buffer we were talking about where that was there to help them not do increases. Very impressive. Absolutely. Well, it's just important for us that we keep the tax burden as low as humanly possible here in Tennessee. And we've done that. We're one of the lowest tax states in the nation. And and we will hear people say, well, you know, don't you suffer in like a lack of services? Well, no. I mean, you know, we continue to keep that level of services that are provided by the state at a very high level. Now, look, we, we don't pay our state employees as much as they get paid in California or New York or somewhere like that. We don't, you know, spend the kind of money on some of the programs that some of these larger states do. You know, we do believe that if you're, you know, serving as a state representative, that you shouldn't be making a living off of that. You should get paid a, a tiny amount of money, which is how we do it, because that's a service. Now, our state employees do not make what they would make in the private sector, but they get good benefits. We make sure that their retirement's going to be there for them. Like I mentioned, we put $250 million additional into that retirement fund to make sure it's one of the highest and most well-funded retirement funds in the nation. Wow. That Sure, that affects our bond rating, and it helps us if we ever need to borrow money, mm-hmm. but it also makes sure that 
that those state employees that are there right now that are serving, that are making less than they would make in some other liberal state that just kind of throws money at a problem, I mean, they're not going to make as much that, but they've got good benefits and they know because of our fiscal principles that their retirement is going to be there for them when they need it. And so that's a very important thing. Uh, Speaking of a, a state that's very conservative, I mean, Tennessee is, our Second Amendment rights are extremely important to us. And one of the things we did this year with the surplus is we made gun safes tax free. So for this entire year, if you want to buy a gun safe, small, large, medium, whatever you want to buy, then it's going to be tax-free. And and hopefully what will happen with that is that folks will be incentivized to exercise their Second Amendment rights. I 100% want to always uh, protect your Second Amendment rights and all of our Second Amendment rights and stand strong on that. I always have since I was just a child. I believe that's just a critical right that we have. But if you're going to possess and own firearms, you need to be responsible. You need to have a gun safe. You need to secure that firearm. If you're going to have it in your vehicle with you on a regular basis, think about having a small safe or some sort of security device to keep that gun, if somebody were to bust in the window and try to steal it, out of the hands of individuals that aren't supposed to have firearms. Sure. So, I mean, that that's just something to think about. That If you're a firearm owner and if you enjoy shooting sports and everything like I do and hunting and, and, and all of that, then you have a responsibility to keep those firearms out of criminals' hands and out of the hands of folks that would not be able to lawfully purchase them. And part of that is as a gun safe. So we we went ahead and, and followed through nice. with something we talked about for a couple of years and made that tax-free. And for those that want to be illegal with that, there are stiffer penalties now, I saw. And the one that I, I'm really impressed with, that any time a law enforcement officer is shot in the line of duty, mm-hmm. a reward of ten grand to twenty grand for information leading to the rest of that uh, that individual responsible is going to be posted. Amen. And I guess the penalties have been increased if they, a law enforcement officer is killed. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, we have. And in fact, we've increased those significantly. And, I, and I'll tell you, we, you know, we are right here in Hendersonville today, and our Hendersonville Police Department and Chief Miller do a fantastic yes, job of keeping us safe. We yeah. live in a very blessed, safe community. Not all communities are like that. But I'll tell you, every single officer that goes out there and puts a badge on and straps their gun belt on every day, they are risking their lives for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And we have got to back them up and make sure that they know we stand with them 100%. Does that mean they're perfect? No. Does that mean they're never going to mistake, make a mistake? No. Does that mean that every now and again, in a rare circumstance, you might have an officer that commits a crime? Absolutely, it is possible. But it is a rarity. And those officers are held accountable. Quite frankly, there is nobody, nobody out there on this planet that hates a bad cop worse than a good cop. I mean, our good (laughs) cops out there, like our Hennessville Police Department officers, they are the ones that will make sure they are setting the standard high. Another bill that we passed that I'm very proud of is one that I carried, and it was the Spencer Bristol Act. Excellent. Officer Bristol was a phenomenal officer and was a great example to his fellow officers on how to do the job right and literally was chasing a couple of fleeing felons across an interstate. And and, and this is where this guy ran. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. look. Spencer Bristol didn't choose where the guy was going to run. That's right. But he did choose to do his duty and chase after him because he had no idea what the guy might have done to be fleeing. Neither does any officer when somebody evades arrest. So as this guy's fleeing from him, we lost one of our heroes here and he got killed. And the penalty was about six months in jail. For the felon. Okay, this is ridiculous. Yeah, totally. And so it, when when I saw this and, and I realized that the evading arrest um, statutes needed to be updated, myself and Farrell Hill and Johnny Garrett, Terry Lynn Weaver, all of us banded together as a delegation and said, we have got to increase these penalties. And so now... 
I'm proud to say that after this is passed, the Spencer Bristol Act will provide that if that if somebody is evading arrest of an officer and the officer dies as a result of that uh, evasion, then they're going to spend the rest of their life in prison. I mean, nice. they're going to face a Class yes. A felony, and they're going to set, more than likely, for the rest of their lives in prison. So the message is, and oh, by the way, if the officer gets hurt real bad, it's a, va- a significantly increased penalty as well. Should and you're going to spend yep. years in prison for hurting an officer. So, so here's the message from that, okay? Just don't run. <laughs> it's real easy. Yes, if you true. see blue lights, if an officer tells you to stop, stop yep. right there. Yep. That's what's safest for both you and the officer. If for some reason that officer didn't have a right to stop you, fine. Take it up with their supervisor. Absolutely. Take it up with Chief Miller here in Hendersonville. Yep. He wants his officers to be the best of the best. If they're not doing something right, that's what you do. That's it. You file a complaint with their supervisor. You file a lawsuit. You take it through the court system. You don't run and try to endanger all of us. Or engage in by a your... gunfight with it. Absolutely that not. That makes sense. But... I will tell you that, I mean, you know, the Spencer Bristol Act, several of the bills we passed this year, a variety of the things we did, including increasing the penalty on stealing a gun. If you steal a gun in the state of Tennessee after July 1st, it's a felony. Your butt's not going to jail. It's going to prison. And we increased the mandatory minimums on that and everything else across the board. Now, the constitutional carry bill that that I carried and we passed got a whole lot of, I guess, attention out there. And that's good. I mean, you know, fighting for your Second Amendment rights is something that I'm always going to do as long as I'm blessed to be state representative for our community here. But as part of that, we're going to go after the felons and the bad guys and those that misuse firearms. So if you're some felon and you're not supposed to have a gun and you have one, guess what? Mm -hmm. You're going to go to jail or prison for longer. (laughs) If you steal a gun, you're going to go to prison. If you're seeing a theme here, if you want to do bad stuff, we're going to make sure in Tennessee that you're held accountable for those actions. If you're a good law-abiding citizen and you want to possess a firearm, we're going to clear the board and clear the way for you to be able to do so and to protect your rights. And don't leave it in your car for people to steal. Absolutely. And again, now we're back to the gun safe issue where if you're going to leave your your gun in your vehicle on a regular basis, please secure it. Now, that that starts with making sure you lock your car. I mean, you know what I'm saying? If, if you have a firearm in there, just double, I mean, double click that little yeah. remote there, lock that car up, make sure you hear it beep because there are a lot of car burglaries that happen where they just check the they just check the door. And by mm. the way, here's something that people don't think about very often. Uh, if you have a car that was built in the last five or six years, you probably have a remote that, you know, when you step into the car, you you probably don't have a key. Okay, I mean, I you know most of the time, the whole time I've been alive, you had a key for your vehicle. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the truck I have is about six years old. The key stays in my pocket. It's, it's just, just that little remote fob. Exactly. When I walk up to the truck, it will unlock when I pull on the door. Yeah. This is a very standard feature with a lot of newer cars. If your office or home is near where your car is parked, sometimes your key fob is close enough that if somebody pulls in that door, it can open. Well, be wary of that. Well, okay. So, I mean, so it's, it's, a, it's a proximity thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it just depends. Yeah. I mean, but just okay. be wary. You, you have to be relatively close to it. Yeah. But, I mean, some people park their car. I mean, their driveway is right next to their bedroom, depending upon your house is configured in your driveway. So, you may think you've locked your vehicle, and you've not. Now, there's lots of different ways to get around that. Sure. They've got little boxes you can drop your keys in. Uh, there's people that claim there's other things you can do. Yeah. But just be wary of the fact that in the day and age of technology, yeah. um, you may think you've locked that vehicle, but you might not have. So if you own a firearm, be responsible with it. But I am proud to say that, you know, we were able to pass the constitutional carry bill this year. So those that are 21 and up, those that are legally would have been allowed to get a permit, um, you know, before you didn't need a permit in Tennessee to have your firearm in your car, your boat, your business.
business, your home, your friend's car, boat, business, home. I mean, you you didn't need a permit from the state to be able to do that. I don't I don't think you should. And so, really, all we did this year is we took the criminal penalties off of someone that if they were walking between their business and their home, we're not going to have them face a, a C misdemeanor. I mean, mm-hmm. like 30 days in jail. I mean, it's just something that was very rarely charged anyways. Now, again, remember, though, we married that with significantly increased penalties on folks that'll steal firearms, folks that misuse firearms, felons felons with firearms. Again, we're going to leave the good guys alone and we're going to go after the bad guys. Right. Now, what about the, I think a lot of people are maybe a little fuzzy on the open carry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. So in Tennessee, we don't differentiate between concealed or open carry okay. as All a general right. rule. Now, we do have a, a permit that's online that is that is different. I mean, but for your standard carry permit and for constitutional carry, okay. it's concealed or open. Okay. Um, and the reason we do that is because, I mean, really, most people are going to carry concealed. I will tell you that I encourage folks to carry concealed. And I'll go on just a little soapbox here for a moment. If you're going to carry a firearm, go train with it regularly. Absolutely. And I don't want to sound like I'm fussing here, but I'm an old country boy. And I grew up the whole time, you know, the whole my childhood and everything else. Dad would take us out and we would work with and practice. Absolutely. I've had buddies that would, you know, be very proud of showing me the firearm that they kept in their truck or in their car. And literally there'd be dust on it. Okay, like where they hadn't even used it. Yeah. And, and I would ask, I would say, hey, man, if you don't mind me, that's, that's a nice firearm. Thanks for showing it to me. But, you know, when's the last time you went out to the range? And a lot of times I'll get this answer. Uh, I don't know, man. It, it's been a while, maybe a few years. If you're going to carry a firearm on a regular basis, <laughs> go yearly at least and just kind of train yourself back in. If you're going to carry that firearm on your person, then I would recommend that you actually go through some advanced training. I mean, most of our, our you know, guns and leather, other shops around here and everything else mm-hmm. will offer some advanced training um, so that you can learn how to properly use that firearm. Sure. So you, you have an absolute right to bear arms and we're going to protect that right in Tennessee. But we do ask that you get trained with your weapon, that you continue to train with your weapon, that you store it safely. I mean, that has to be part of that equation. We also set about uh, $500,000 aside this year for firearms training, specifically for younger people. Okay. Uh, And the reason for that is, is a huge number of young people, and I'm not talking about just urban areas, but urban, suburban, and rural, Mm -hmm. don't have any idea how to probably store a firearm, don't know how to shoot a firearm, don't know how to handle a firearm, don't know how to clean it, and have no idea how to clean it or take it apart. Uh, Every single firearm that I own, the very first thing that I did after I purchased the firearm was take it apart. Mm -hmm. I mean, take the thing apart and figure out how to put it back together and clean it and everything else, and then take it out. And again, familiarize yourself with that firearm, shoot it, and and do that on a regular basis. So it's just, for whatever reason, it seems like we get caught in this scenario where people want to talk about if you're for the Second Amendment or you're against it. Well, here, we're absolutely for it. And we are in favor of proper, responsible firearm ownership and usage. And you can can be in favor of both. You can be in favor of freedom and responsibility. It's just we want to trust folks to do that, encourage folks to sure, do it. Sure, if you break the law with it, guess what? You well, to, you suffer the consequences yeah, of that. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm with Reagan on that one. I mean, every time somebody breaks the law, it doesn't mean it's society's problem. I mean, if you break the law, it's your fault. I mean, you, you chose to break the law. <laughs> exactly. And so you've got to suffer the consequences of that. You know it. Hey, you know one of the other things that I saw? We're going into our second break here, but we'll touch on it and come on the other side. Is I, I saw a couple of bills that were really working with the adoption and foster care system, which and most people know our story. Kathleen and I, we adopted three children from the system. Uh, so it's kind of close to us. And uh, I, I was glad to see the efforts and the the help that a lot of the nonprofits around here that are actually doing to help those and the kids in the foster care system and helping them have a better life. 
Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you, uh, not only did we set aside some money in the budget, I think we put aside, I think it was uh, $6.3 million for adoption and subsidized permanent guardianship programs. So we put some money out there for that. But I mean, look, no no adopted family, no foster family, again, is going to be doing that for the money. I mean, it it helps to be able to defray some of those costs and everything else. But we also had a bill in, it was House Bill 139, that provides for some resources for youth that have aged out of the foster care program and expands eligibility for the HOPE uh, Foster Child Tuition Grant. It it creates an opportunity for foster children to be able to get additional college resources and everything else that would have been available to other children. Mm -hmm. And so between that and some of the things we've done within DCS, uh, some of the way that we've changed even how judges are looking at both termination of parental rights, placement of children, all of that is supposed to be in the best interest of the child. Absolutely. So we are slowly yeah. but surely yeah. changing huge sections of the code every year. We did a, another section this year of making sure that judges understand every single decision they make in court has got to be what's in the best interest of that child. Yeah, totally. I love my children, totally. but they don't belong to me. They belong to the good Lord, and then they belong to themselves. And <laughs> if, the, if there is an issue where a judge is evaluating a child custody plan, a, a place plan, anything else, it should never be about what's in the best interest of the adults. It should be about what's in the best interest of the child in front of them. Absolutely. When we come back, I know there was a bill that was up there I want to talk about, about keeping siblings together and having them able to access that contact information. We're talking with State Rep. William Lambert here this morning on Summer County Spotlight. We'll be right back after this word. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbag.com. All right, we're back with Summer County Spotlight, talking with State Representative William Lambert here. And uh, William, man, you have been busy this year. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you. And I'll, and I'll tell you, it's it's a team effort downtown. I mean, yes. we've got a great delegation here in Sumner County with Senator Farrell Hale and Representative Johnny Garrett and Terry Lynn Weaver. I mean, it's we all work very closely together for the benefit of Sumner County. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I mean, we, we sit here in the streets of Indian Lake. This is actually in my district. And I'm honored, honored, honored to serve both Hendersonville, Gallatin, Portland, Westmoreland, and kind of all areas in between there. Yeah. Um, I love love the fact that the district that has allowed me the privilege of serving you stretches throughout Sumner County. And really, all three of the state representatives that are in Sumner County have all aspects of Sumner County. And when you grew up here, and I mean, our family's a, you know, it's fifth generation that, that we've been in Sumner County. My children will be a sixth generation. And, and I hope they you know, do whatever they're going to do in education and excel fully there to whatever level they want to. And then I hope that they set up their lives here in Sumner County, just like we did. But when you grow up here, you know that there's like, you know, a bottom of the ridge and top of the ridge kind of like a difference between how we've always looked at things. And I don't really understand why, but it's, you know, people's people. But still, you know, if you're if you represent the entire county, you have to answer to and accommodate and serve folks from different areas of the county. And I just think that's a good thing because it allows all of us not to get siloed off and kind of one mentality or perspective on things. The decisions we make have got to benefit all of Sumner County, Hendersonville and Westmoreland and everything in between and all the rest of the state. And so both urban and suburban and rural areas. And so it's it's very exciting. You know, you mentioned right before the break, you know, a lot of stuff will be done for for adoption and for foster families. And we really have have tried very hard to incentivize folks to choose adoption. It's one of the most loving things. And you guys know that in your family that you can do for a child and for your family. I mean, it's such a blessing for both parents 
parents and children. Unfortunately, there's been barriers there. Unintended, but there's been barriers there. It's a difficult, scary process to go through. It's expensive. And we're trying to break down a bunch of that. And in the foster system, one of the things that we did this year, as important as adoption is, as important as those new families are, there is a draw many times for children that are in foster care that are that are even in adopted families to connect with their biological siblings. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, biological parents, they're open adoptions now and there's, you know, it's a totally different scenario now with adoption. It's not just a, you know, a severing of that tie. Sometimes it is and then sometimes it's more of a fluid relationship. Yeah. But with, with siblings, it's it's really important that they be able to contact one another. Yes. And so we made it a part of our law and a part of our procedures sure. that unless there's a reason not to, again, mm-hmm. best interest of the child is what we focus on, sure. that siblings would have the contact information for their siblings throughout the foster care system so that they can keep in touch with each other and it's just good to have that connection there yeah and i think a lot of times with these some of these siblings and some of them go in groups there might be one or two here two here they go into group homes or whatever the case it's very important that they maintain that connection with their siblings mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. maybe not so much the parents because maybe it was an abusive drug related you know mm-hmm. sexual mm-hmm. abuse kind of situation where maybe they don't want to have a contact with them but i think it's important that the siblings still maintain that when it's in the best interest absolutely and again that's what it's got to be focused on. You know, I mentioned some additional options for higher education for some of our our children that are going through the foster care system and adoption and all of this. You know, we also expanded, you know, we have have Ball State Community College here, you know, in our community, which is a fantastic institution. And we have several other private institutions as well, uh, Union and several others. But specifically for those that are taking advantage of dual enrollment, before you could take up to three classes, we've expanded that to four now. And what we've really found out is both through our dual enrollment classes and through our TCATs and our community colleges and everything else, if we can get a child to get a, a decent amount of higher education under their belt before they graduate high school, they'll continue that journey yeah. and they'll finish it out because most children don't need to go to a four-year school. I mean, it's just the, the facts of life. I mean, there are very few jobs. There's 20 to 30% of the jobs that exist in this world that will require a four-year or greater degree. If you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, an architect, I mean, you're going to need sure. those advanced degrees. But for most of our children and for most of our adults, they need some sort of additional degree beyond high school. Yeah. So that can be a, a certificate. That can be community college. That can be additional training. I mean, and we want to make sure that we have lifelong learners within Tennessee, folks that if they're making a job change, if they're going back to school, that we have reconnect dollars there. And that's the reason we made it free for every single child that comes out of a Tennessee high school to go in and go to a two-year school or a TCAT. And if you've got a little college under your belt and you want to come back and finish, well, we've got dollars there for that too. And it all comes through the lottery. Yes. I mean, look, I, you're never going to see me win the lottery because I don't play the thing. It's a tax on the mathematically challenged. Yes, don't yes, take yes. that as offense if you're listening and you play the lottery. But guess what? You're probably not going to win. That's right. But lots of people like playing it. Yeah. I, I have friends that like buying a ticket and they just imagine what they would do with the money. I don't, but still, those that do play the lottery and it's increased every single year, that money goes into a fund for scholarships for students that are going, you know, into higher education and they're pursuing their, you know, journey through a four-year school. And then the surplus dollars we have set aside really in escrow as an investment account. And the interest off of that funds all of our Tennessee Promise and Reconnect efforts. Nice. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Now, again, it's it's sad that that many people play the lottery, but I mean, a lot of folks really like it. And again, if if that's your cup of tea and you can afford it, go ahead. I mean, sometimes that goes into the billions. So I mean, that's that's a good chunk of change right there. It absolutely is. And so I, 
always caution folks, though. I mean, you know, we have some online sports gambling. We have the lottery and all this. I mean, if it is something that you enjoy as a pastime with excess funds, again, that is your business. Do whatever you want to with it. I would caution folks that, I mean, if you're having trouble putting food on the table, then look, don't gamble. Don't play the lottery. I mean, focus on investing in your family yeah. and in the, the resources that you need to be able to get on good, solid footing. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you've got a great job and you got excess funds, you know, again, whatever, do whatever you want to do. Sure. But it is something that we worry about a little bit at the state level because of the fact we do have some gambling options within the state of Tennessee. There are also some resources out there for folks that get addicted to that kind of lifestyle. It's unfortunate, but it, it actually does happen from time to time. But back to kind of what we're utilizing those funds for, uh, we understand that folks are going to play the lottery. They are going to gamble online and that type of thing. And so we try to make sure to use those funds to the benefit of our educational system. And that's what we've done again this year is to invest a lot of that in a fourth hour of dual enrollment and to continue to fund all of those other scholarships that we've been doing. Sure. Well, with, with TenCare, I was I was very impressed when we moved up here and I was kind of worried how that was going to work because it, you have certain, you know, benefits in Florida, but transferring up here, let me tell you, it was seamless mm-hmm. and they just mm-hmm. have been fabulous. I mean, Good. it's just one of the things that, you know, the kids and people don't realize when you adopt through the system, William, it didn't cost me a dime mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. adopt. Why yep. spend 30, 40 grand to go some country no you don't even to. know? There's no reason to. And you got None. it right here in this community. We, we have literally thousands of kids every single year in Tennessee that are up yep. for adoption. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, a, a lot of these kids have been through a rough life. You know, the, the cure for that is a whole lot of love. That's all right. right. I mean, yep. a lot of these kids are going to have some mental health or physical health issues. Yep. Some of them are not, but a lot of them are. They've gone through a rough life so far, but we need, I mean, we're on the buckle of the Bible belt. And if you're a Christian, you're adopted into the family of God. Yes. Okay. Yep. If you're Jewish, then, you know, look, that's God's people. But for, for the rest of us that are Protestant and, you know, we are adopted in. Yep. And so adoption ought to be something that is just ingrained in us as a Christian society. Mm-hmm. And especially as a state that, again, you, you can't throw a rock without hitting a church, you know, just down the street. We got tons of them. That's right. That's great. I wish every single church in the state would make it a goal of theirs that one family in their church, just one family each year would adopt a child. If we did that, we wouldn't have any kids that needed a a family. Every one of them would be adopted out. But again... Those churches need to surround that child with love, surround that family with love and resources and everything else, because some of these kids have literally been through hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've experienced circumstances that none of us could have imagined as adults, and they experienced it a lot of times at four years old. And so they need families around them, but sometimes that's going to be a rocky journey. Sometimes it's smooth as silk. Yeah. And that's great when that happens. But, you know, you mentioned TenCare. Out of a $42.6 billion budget, TenCare actually makes up just over $13 billion of that budget. And so that's a, you know, federal and state program that is a, you know, it's a combined effort. So that's state and federal dollars. And here recently, at the very beginning of this year, we actually locked into place, or I hope locked into place, Fed's could back out of it, but I would hope not, a partnership that we spent the better part of two years on a shared savings plan with the federal government so that if we are running TenCare more efficiently than other states, that we can actually keep some of those savings in-house sure. and provide better services, provide additional services, serve the population that's on TenCare, which is approaching one and a half million Tennesseans. Yeah. We have almost seven million Tennesseans in the state at this point, 6.9 million and change, and about one and a half million are on TenCare. We want to make sure that that one and a half million is getting a very good, high quality healthcare service. Yeah. It's not just about having health insurance. It's about getting good quality care. 
Yeah. Well, in light of the recent uh, events going on in the Olympics with uh, Simone Biles, you know, testing her mental health and uh, and really being concerned about that, I saw that the K-12 Mental Health Trust Fund um, had been funded $250 million So glad you mentioned initial that. Initial investment. Absolutely. It's an initial, initial investment. And that provides the funds and services for our school-aged children for generations. That's what Absolutely. that says. That's crazy. Well, that's what it does. I mean, so what we did the same thing with that that we did. I, I mentioned, you know, the Tennessee Promise Program, where we we put literally three to four hundred million dollars. It's over four hundred million now, I believe, aside in an investment, so that the proceeds, the, the interest off of that, would fund community college and TCATs for free and reconnect dollars for folks that want to get an education. So with the K through twelve trust fund, you know, you you can fund that per year. Or when you have a surplus, again, we, we purposefully cut our budget back to the bone and then have a surplus. You can use that in ways that will benefit today, or you can use it in ways that are going to benefit today and many, many tomorrows to come. Yeah. So this $250 million that we put aside in the K-12 through Mental Health Trust Fund is going to yield benefits for generations. None of us like to think about a child who has schizophrenia. None of us like to think about a child who, who is bipolar to a severe extreme. Yeah. None of us like to think about a child who is suffering through depression. And I don't mean teenage angst. Yeah. I don't mean yeah. being sad a little bit. I'm talking about bone-chilling depression yeah. where a child can't even rise up out of a bed. Mm-hmm. Where I mean, literally, they're just stuck to the sheets. Yeah. And if you've talked to people that have went through this, I mean, this is real stuff, okay? Yeah. The earlier we diagnose those issues, then the better off those children are. Yeah. Now, you mentioned this uh, the Simone issue with the, the Olympics and all this kind of stuff. I will say that, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm probably in the middle on this one a little bit. I mean, I, I have known people my whole life, and we all have, that have come up against a hard scenario and quit. I've done that before. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, rarely. I mean, I, I try everything I can and bust through walls and, you know, work my butt off. And, you know, like like a lot of us, I mean, was was raised up that, I mean, you know, you never, ever, ever quit. But to be honest, we all have at some point, okay? But when I did, I was embarrassed about the fact that I did. I felt like I'd let people down. I felt like I had not given it everything, even if I really had. I think that's an understandable thing. What bothers me about this is we have a young lady who has competed at the highest level. I mean, has, has went through stresses that I cannot imagine. She's been a champion many, many times. Abused and that kind of thing. One of the best gymnasts in the world, okay? And she quit. Now... I don't think we should hammer her so bad on it. I mean, look, she quit. That's fine. I mean, you know, that's that's her decision. She needed to do what was best for her. However, it should not be celebrated either. No. The young lady who stepped up right after her and just won a gold, like, I want to celebrate her. That's yeah. awesome. And a team, when one of your teammates goes down, the rest of the team's got to step up. I mean, that's what I learned under Roger Perry at Portland High School because I practiced <laughs> a lot more football than I ever played. And, I mean, you know, I yeah. wasn't a stellar athlete, but I was on that team and I gave it everything yeah. I had because if the guy in front of me went down, and there was a list of guys in front of me, okay? So several of them had to go down for me to get playing time. But uh, if the guy in front of me went down, it was my job to step up and do everything I possibly could. So I understand if folks quit, and I understand if they might even do it because of some mental health issues. Mental health issues are real. I mean, a, a mental health problem is is just as big as a physical health problem. Sure. I, I think if this has been made into some sort of a thing, though, where she's almost a straw man for folks feeling like we have a generation that is celebrating not giving everything that they've got. Yeah. Um, with her scenario, I don't know what's going on there, but I will say this. That's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's friend. That's somebody's teammate. We probably should take it easy on the young lady. However... 
I don't think we should celebrate the fact no. that she quit either. Well, she's I think the it's top one of those level. things. She's the top level of what Absolutely. it is. And it's going to be sad if we, when all this is done and we come to find out that, well, it was a PR thing. You ought to step down so she's getting all the highlights and all the recognition. I'm going to back down and let these other girls take it, which is admirable, I guess, but it's still affecting the overall team. Which is why and, I think, again, the attention should not be on her. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, you know, the attention should not be on her. Look. For whatever reason, she stepped down. She, you know, has said, she look, it was for it mental is. health and everything else. But others have stepped up. Let's celebrate those that have. Absolutely. And, and stop celebrating. I mean, there was a young lady that, for whatever reason, for years has been very proud to be an American, an American, you know, Olympian, an athlete and everything else. And then, you know, put something out a couple of months ago that she was embarrassed of the flag and kneeled at the flag and all this. There were two young ladies standing right next to her who got first and second place. Yeah. She was like the third place person, got tons of attention. Sad. I yeah. would prefer yes. that we. <laughs> We focus on the two young ladies that are absolutely proud to be American athletes, proud to be competing in their sport, doing everything that they should be doing. And let's applaud that. Absolutely. For the young lady that, that felt like she needed to kneel at the flag, a lot of times what I ask young people that are doing that is, why? What is yeah. it about our nation that is your nation and my nation and all of us together as Americans what is it that ha- makes you believe that you should have to kneel, that you shouldn't be proud of that flag, that you shouldn't be proud of this country? Let's have that conversation mm-hmm. because I guarantee you the rest of us are going to win it. Yeah. These kids are being taught and have stuff poured into them that is just a lie. They're being told somehow or another that this country is not the greatest nation on the planet. Mm-hmm. It is. Yes. It is the most freest, amazing, phenomenal country that has ever existed. Yeah. We're having this conversation on the radio right now, and we don't have to worry about government agents busting in the door no, because right. of something we say. Yeah. We don't have to run through some government entity what we're going to talk about before we you know, got yeah. on the radio yeah. today. There are church services going on all across our country right now as we speak. None of those pastors have to check in with the government on what they can preach. And oh, by the way, you're not required to attend. At different (laughs) points in history, whoever was the king or whoever was the dictator, they determined what your religion was, not you. So we live in a phenomenal, free, amazing country. It's not perfect. It wasn't founded by perfect people, but they were divinely inspired in a way that they set up something that is magical, that the world's never seen before and will never see again. And I want to hang on to it as long as we can. So for some of those folks that that kneel at the flag or feel like somehow or another they're embarrassed of the flag, I want to know why. I want to have those conversations. And I think we all should and, and help them understand our perspective. And I want to understand where they're coming from, because I bet you at the end of the day, they'll agree that they have the freedom to be able to do those things in this country. And we should applaud those young people that are doing the right thing, that are standing up for our flag, that are trying to help us be a better country and and really kind of disregard those and and have conversations and everything else, but not celebrate those that might make it about me, me, me. Yeah. And that's some of what I think happens with some of this. Um, and all that, you know, stems from my conversation. And, and you mentioned it, a young lady, obviously, who at the highest level of sports, look, she dropped out of competition. Again, I don't know what's going on with her. I'm not going to judge her for that. But at the same time, I'm going to celebrate those that stepped up Absolutely. and as a team were able to accomplish something. Absolutely. Well, listen, we, we have a lot more to talk about. We're going to this break. And on the other side, we're talking to William Labreth, our state representative here. And we're going to be talking more with him and uh, getting more words of wisdom and finding out some of these other bills. I th- it's so impressive what you guys did. So we're going to talk more about that on the other side. FNM Bank presents. 
Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. Hey, we're glad you found us here in Summer County Spotlight on the Sunday morning. This is Jeff Shannon. We've been speaking with our state representative, William Lamberth, here in a, a, a great conversation. And look, we can talk about some of There's so many great bills that they, they passed this year. One of the ones that I wanted to bring up because uh, business is so important, uh, you had the Business Fairness Act. Maybe we could talk about that. Absolutely. So again, going through this pandemic and, and trying to balance, uh, again, the health of the economy and the health of our, our, our population, our every Tennessean, um, part of that is is that you know when things were shut down last year and again we're, we're never going through that again i mean we're not going to do that again there's better ways to be able to do that uh, the governor and everybody else uh, you know made the decision that had to be made at the time based on the information that they had and i applaud them i mean because again we're one of the last states to shut down one of the first to reopen but during that shutdown many of the larger big box retailers were still open and almost all of your small businesses were shut down that's yeah. not fair that's yeah. not right yeah. and and that's something that we're never going to do again and so we literally passed a, the Business Fairness Act to ensure that if someone, um, if there's a, a policy, if there's an executive order, if there's something that happens that's going to shut down one business, it's going to shut them all down. If it's going to re- require something in one business, it's going to require them all within that category, mm-hmm. both small and large. And that's just what makes sense. Yeah. Because, I mean, small businesses are the backbone of our economy here in Tennessee and, quite frankly, throughout our country. And so we, we've got to make sure to protect them, even during times of pandemic, um, because many of them can flourish in those times and be more flexible and really kind of think outside the box a whole lot more rapidly than some of your bigger businesses can. And so, you know, we're glad that our big businesses stepped up and they were able to provide groceries and much needed services to our, our, our citizens and friends and neighbors during a difficult time. But we want to make sure small businesses are open as well. And again, I want to be crystal clear. I I never, ever want to go through any kind of a shutdown again. The governor doesn't. I don't. I mean, none of us do. And and I'm going to just fight that to the day I die. And I just, you know, we went through it. We all did it. And collectively, we kind of all breathed a sigh of relief when we came out the other side. And I'll say this. I mean, look, COVID's not over. I mean, we were talking about before we went on air. You know, vaccines are available. I encourage folks to get vaccinated. I think it's a good idea. But I think that is something that is absolutely 1,000% your choice. I mean, talk to your doctor about it. Discuss that as a family. You know, get the best information you can. And not just from like YouTube or Facebook. I mean, actually talk to medical professionals. uh, Talk to people that have been vaccinated or had COVID. And make a decision for yourself on what's in your best, you know, that's best for you and best for your community and your family. But it, it's never going to be something that we're going to force on people either. Yeah. I mean, that's something we feel very passionately about here. We've talked a lot about freedom and expanding freedom uh, today on, on this program. And I really, really appreciate you having me on. It is such Absolutely. a blessing to be able to serve this community. And mm-hmm. thank you for allowing me to serve yes. you. So we, we are a free country. We are a free state. We're not going to force people to get vaccinated. You know, we're not going to shut down again and that kind of stuff. I mean, it just we don't want to go back to any of that stuff. But it, it, there's no doubt about it that this vaccine is helping. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it will reduce the symptoms of COVID-19. It won't completely prevent you from getting it. We've seen that. We've had breakthrough cases. But it does reduce the transmission rates. It does reduce the symptoms. And it it is helpful, quite frankly, to make sure that our hospitals do not get full, to make sure that you yourself um, does not get sick to the point of dying. I mean, you know, so we want to have the resources out there for anybody that wants to get vaccinated to get vaccinated. But again, preserve the freedom that if for some reason you feel like that's not in your medical best interest or something that you don't want to do, then that's your choice. Sure. Well, and I think we've learned a lot because we had no playbook. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a playbook when this thing started. We're learning as we go, basically. So I think a lot of the things that we've learned and businesses have learned Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on how to adapt and how to do business differently, Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the positives out of it. They've learned how to make money 
in a down kind of economy. Oh, absolutely. Now, now we're back up. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, and and a lot of these businesses and a lot of companies have changed even the way they do business. They've changed whether or not we as we as a state. I mean, are are kind of changing what state employees are coming downtown and serving in an office sure. there, or some that may be working from home. Alternative workspaces and environments and all that kind of stuff and systems are a new age thing, and it's working really well for a lot of folks. And yeah. so when you don't have a commute and you just kind of wake up and work right there at the house, that's not going to work for everything. But for a lot of things, it really will work extremely, you know, to an extreme level, especially when you can measure that productivity. A sure. perfect example is kind of what Amazon does with a lot of their customer service reps. And my understanding, a good number of those folks are working from their own home. I mean, they get kind of provided a, a package of technology and material from Amazon. Sure. And because, I mean, what do you care if a customer service rep is in their own Doesn't living matter. room or bedroom or in some <laughs> yeah. office tower yeah. somewhere? It doesn't matter. If they're answering your call and taking care of your question, that's what you care about. Sure. So we're looking at some of those things. And I think there are probably some business models that have changed forever. But there's so many other things that I hope go back to normal. Yeah. And, and I specifically say that normal, not new normal, because I want it to be what we had before. And yeah. this virus is going to be with us forever. It's yeah. a deadly virus. It's a dangerous virus. But there's no reason we should be afraid of this. We've had viruses before. We've had wars before. We've had civil wars before. Americans in general are just a very resilient people. We and so yeah, we we bounce back. And, and the harder you hit us, the harder we bounce back. And so we are going to be able to lead the world in how to make sure that we have a healthy economy and a healthy population and that we move forward with the understanding that COVID's going to be around probably for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And it is unfortunately going to kill people and make people sick. And we should do the best we can to reduce that risk. But we're, we're starting to realize, and I think everybody should realize this, it is impossible to reduce the risk to zero. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Yeah. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do things that make sense to reduce the risk. Yeah. But it's, it is it is similar to driving your automobile. I mean, there, there's no way to reduce that risk to zero. You could get in a crash and die. Someone else could crash into you and kill you. Um, there is a risk with that. Now, COVID is a greater risk than just driving your vehicle, but we hope to be able to reduce that risk down to a manageable risk. That way we can move on with our lives. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, I think a lot of the chambers uh, were really kind of taken back. I mean, they, they, they didn't know what to do with it at some point at the beginning because all the businesses were calling. What do I do? What do I, there was no playbook. But the fact that we've learned from this and mm-hmm, we're coming mm-hmm. out on the other side, successful. I mean, the economy's up, sales tax mm-hmm. revenues are up. Uh, I know right here in Hendersonville they are. Uh, people are, are thriving. Mm-hmm. And, and their mm-hmm. businesses, you know, if we learn something from this, that that's going to be a good thing. Oh, absolutely. And and this is the reason I can say with a good degree of confidence that we're not going to go into some sort of shutdown or something like that again, and that we should all resist and fight against that and going into a shutdown is that we have learned different ways to be able to manage, um, especially those that are at the highest risk, yeah. you know, in a pandemic. I mean, that we're all at risk. Anybody can catch it. Anybody can die from it. We've yeah. all known someone that was that healthy younger person that caught COVID and was either very sick or died. And it's absolutely tragic. And and yet we all know folks that would die of cancer at a young age and everything else. And and that, while a scary, difficult, just horrible, horrible disease, it, it does not change drastically the way we live our lives. Yeah. COVID, I think we can get to the point where we learn enough about it that we can manage how we deal with this disease that's right. and still move forward with our society and our lives. That's my yeah. hope. And that's what our goal is in Tennessee is so that you can go back to normal. You can go back to living your lives. You know, again... I've just said we're in a sales tax free week this week. Go out to eat then with the dinner, go to a restaurant. (laughs) But look, if you have an immune system that is compromised, if you know that you're more vulnerable, you know, you may want to be careful about doing that. Talk to your doctor, get advice from them on how you can manage and minimize your risk 
again, I've said this several times, but I encourage folks to get vaccinated, but I also respect and advocate for that to be your choice. Mm-hmm. No one should ever, your employer, the government, or nobody else should ever force you to be vaccinated. Sure. It's a decision, a medical decision you should make on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I was just going down this list here, <laughs> and it just it just kept going, going, going. You guys are, you, you're doing a lot of work up there. Well, but. and I will say, uh, you know, this year was kind of unique in that you're going to see a lot more bills this year than we've okay. had in years past, because last year, because of COVID, when everything else shut down, so yeah. did the legislature. Yes, that's right. And so yeah. we had really an entire year's worth of bills that just got bumped to this okay. year. So we had kind of two years worth of bills shoved into one. Well, one of the ones that just caught my eye here was the Napper's uh, 660 Honorable Discharge Certificate. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I know a lot of the veterans are, are kind of loving this one, and uh, maybe explain to folks that they maybe not know it, but I think it's it's a document that it may uh, be used to have the veteran designation mm-hmm. added to your driver's license. So you want to make sure that every veteran is honored with this option. So, and, and you just showed the DD-214, I believe that's what you have to do, and they can put it on your driver's well, license. Well, you can, but if you're a World War II veteran, and okay. you know, we just lost my they grandfather last year, and they he was a World War II that. veteran, and the DD-214, some of those folks that served in World War II, it actually predates the DD-214. Yeah. So we've tried to include okay. some of these additional paperwork options that okay. can prove somebody was honorably discharged <laughs> and still you know, have that designation. Mm-hmm. You know, I, We also passed the Strong Act this year that'll help some of our National Guardsmen okay. be able to utilize some uh, scholarship dollars and, and educational dollars there because of their service in the National Guard. We've really put a lot of protections in place for those National Guardsmen that are in, uh, that get deployed, okay. um, for them to be able to make sure that they have a job when they come back to that. And beyond just the you know driver's license issue like you talked about, mm-hmm. uh, we also made sure that anyone who is 100% service-connected disabled gets uh, significant discounts in our state park system. Okay. Uh, we want to honor our veterans in every way that we can. Uh, by the way, June 12th, now, this year, um, is Women's Veterans Day in honor of our ladies that have served really? in the military. Okay. Yep. Many That's times, well. many times, um, folks will honor veterans, and they think of that strapping strong lad in a uniform that is, you know, a guy. <laughs> yeah. And there are so many women that serve in the military, and we want to honor their service because it is, it is just as important as the guys that are serving and all of our military members. We want to make sure to honor and respect their sacrifice and their families. Well, and my daughter's um, in the Army, so she's, she'll appreciate that. Well, and I'll tell you, there was also a, a bill that did not get an enormous amount of attention, but was extremely important. And it was the Major Trevor Joseph Act. This came from a circumstance that one of my colleagues, Representative Kevin Vaughn, had experienced where a uh, Major Trevor, I mean, he had a you know military, uh, a member of the military that had passed away in his district, Major Trevor Joseph, and they could not get a funeral, a military funeral on a weekend. It had to be Wait. done during the week. I, I, I don't know don't why like in the world that. that was. I don't understand why that had been the policy, wow. but we have changed the law and okay. that is no longer the policy. I mean, it's with the 72-hour notice for the burial, um, that can happen at any time that is, you know, most convenient with the family, and, and everybody will work together. There will still be many of those that probably happen during the week. Sure. Um, but if but if, if somebody, you know, wants to be buried on a weekend and they've died in the service to our country, then they ought to be buried on a weekend. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that ought to be something that we do all the time. I yeah, mean, it's just, um, so that it's just sometimes it's little stuff like that that you wind up, you know, having to change to make sure that we are properly honoring our veterans. Absolutely. Well, I know the veterans appreciate that. Dave Moomy here is big with the VFW. And he, Dave's he, a good buddy of mine. He's a fantastic he? man. And he does a lot of hard work. I Absolutely. Mean, he really and he gets very job. little appreciation for yeah. it. So, Dave, if you're listening, man, you do a great job, and we sure appreciate you. Absolutely. Well, hey, I know you're busy. you got to run off to the next gig. So uh, we appreciate you coming in and, and just sharing a little bit of this, because I know there's a lot more we could be talking about.
about. But I know you're busy, so thanks again for for sharing with us today. Well, thank you for having me on air. And, and you know, again, for anybody that's listening to this right now, I'm just deeply, deeply appreciative of the opportunity to serve this community. Um, you know, again, we're, we're fifth generation Sumner County residents, and we love it here. This is our home. Uh, my wife and two children, and our extended family, and all of our friends and neighbors. Um, I mean, I love all you guys because it is a special community. I yeah, mean, again, it is. Hendersonville, Gallatin, Portland, Westmoreland. I mean, those are the areas that I represent. And every one of those cities has kind of a unique personality and have a lot of folks that are serving within them in all walks of life. And it's just it's just something special about being here and being in this community. And so Absolutely. if there's ever anything that I can do for any one of you or anybody that's listening or, or anybody that you know, please don't hesitate to call or email me or reach out in whatever way. Stop me in a, in a grocery store at church. I mean, just ask me anything you need. That's what I'm here you? for you. I, whatever way you'd like. I mean, give me, a, give me a call. Drop me an email. I will admit I, I don't do Facebook Messenger. I, I never okay. downloaded that to my phone. Apparently, it's a different app or something. Yeah, okay. So I didn't do that. But, I mean, just about anyway. And honestly, I mean, you know, uh, as far as a phone call, you can call the office at 615-741-1980. Or you're welcome to call my cell phone at 615-308-5557. That rings right in my pocket. And anytime anybody needs me for whatever, just give well, a call. That's, that's awesome. William, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank hey, you. guys. Well, that's going to wrap up another edition of Sumner County Spotlight right here at WHIN. We appreciate you joining us here. And uh, check us again next week at 10 o'clock each and every Sunday. Of course, sponsored by our good friends at FM Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard. This has been Jeff Shannon. We appreciate it. We'll check you next time. So long. Sumner County Spotlight on 100.7 WHIN 1010 AM has been brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. Whether you need personal banking, banking for your business, a home mortgage, or considering refinancing your home, FNM Bank will provide you with excellent service right here in Sumner County. Visit them today at myfmbank.com. Sumner County Spotlight will return next Sunday morning at 10 AM. Thanks for listening.